Well, as we have already mentioned, the absence of 26 of IBC's ladies who are away for the weekend attending the, the women's retreat at Hume Lake has uh, noticeably impacted us here today. We miss our ladies, and my guess is that none, and Brandon would be indication of this, none of us miss uh, our, our, our wives more than maybe the dads who have child care duties and have had those duties since early on Friday morning. The, the gals left at 6.30 on Friday morning, and the mere fact that our dads are going to have a renewed appreciation for their wives and for all that they do at home is going to make this women's retreat a home-run success. Aside from whatever the women might learn along the way, the, the dads uh, have learned a great deal about what moms do at home. Now, since we have this noticeable absence of the ladies and uh, our numbers are maybe weighted a little bit on the male side of the, sa the scale, I thought that this might prove to be a great opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to, to maybe speak in a more focused way to our men today specifically to husbands or to husbands-to-be. Wives, I'm guessing that you won't mind too much if we would direct some special attention towards your husband if you're here in the service today and didn't make the retreat. To all of our ladies, I will not object if you eavesdrop on this moment, but I am going to be talking to the guys today, just stealing the moment that the Lord has given to us with the retreat on deck. As you know, we have been unpacking the book of 1 John uh, in this season in our church life, learning what it means to be a real Christian. And one of the things that we have discovered from 1 John is that you can always tell the real Christian from the fake or the phony or the I want to be a Christian in name only person. You can tell that in three specific ways. You can always tell because of what someone believes or by how they behave, or by how they love. That's how you will know the real from the fake, by, how they, by what they believe, by how they behave, and by how they love. How they love God, how they love each other. This third area garners our special attention this morning. Real Christians love one another, and they do, do so in some very tangible, observable measurable ways and nowhere is the love one another mandate put to the test more than in a marriage and so today we break from first john and from our study series and yet we're going to piggyback on some of the things that we've been sharing in first john and we're going to think about love as a proof of real christianity within the context of marriage and specifically how we men are to love our wives so let me invite you to join me in the New Testament book of Ephesians this morning. If you brought your Bible with you, find your way to that place. Maybe it'll be your iPhone or your iPad, whatever you're using. Ephesians chapter 5. If you got out of the house without your Bible this morning, raise your hand. We can supply a copy of God's Word for you uh, just so you can be a part of this and follow along closely with us. There's also a little note page in your bulletin. If you'll grab that. Um, that will be of help along the way. We're going to hang out now with an, an amazing portion of Holy Spirit-inspired truth that is both wonderful and overwhelming. Exciting, but convicting. 
infinitely beneficial if it's acted upon and yet seemingly impossible to act upon consistently. Our focus will center on verses 25 to 33 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. These verses are part of a larger section of the Apostle Paul's letter to first century Christians living in Ephesus. And he's going to speak in this particular section, uh, not just to the relationship of marriage, but to the, the Christian's parenting relationships with children. That'll be in the first part of chapter 6. And, and then right after that, he'll talk about the Christian's vocational relationships, uh, those between bosses and workers. But before he gets to those two areas of relationship, he focuses on the marriage relationship at the end of chapter 5 in these verses, starting at verse 25 for us this morning. So allow me to read. You follow along your Bible, and we are focusing on the guys today. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery Profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We'll stop right there. For a few moments, let's explore together what it means to love our mates, guys, as Jesus loves his church. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? We'll quickly give our time to the Lord. And, and as we do so, Holy Spirit, affirm in our hearts those things that we're doing right as husbands. And, and we'd also invite you to convict us where we may be falling short uh, as we study your word here today. Bring to light the truth that we so desperately need to possess. Give us receptive ears to hear. Give us submitted wills to apply both what we read and what we hear. And all for the good of our marriages, but mostly for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So as the story goes, four-year-old Chelsea had just been told the fairy tale of Snow White. First time she'd ever heard it, heard it in her nursery, in her nursery preschool class. And so she could hardly wait when she got home to, to recount this story that she just heard to her mom. With wide-eyed excitement, she retold the fairy tale, and, and she told how Prince Charming had arrived on his white horse and kissed Snow White uh, back to life. And then Chelsea asked enthousi- enthusiastically, And Mommy, do you know what happened next? Do you know what happened? And her mother said, Well, honey, I think so. I think they lived happily ever after. And Chelsea frowned and said, No, they got married. Out of the mouths of small children. You know, without realizing it, this little four-year-old spoke a profound truth. 
getting married and living happily ever after are not necessarily the same thing, are they? Yeah, and you chuckle. You chuckle. You know this is true. And oh, does not our culture know that this is true? For every 100 marriages today, slightly more than half do not survive. Two-thirds of second marriages fail in our culture. And here's a particularly sad number, 85,500. That is the number of children every month in the United States who experience the divorce of their moms and dads. 85,500 every month. That's more than a million children a year who watch their moms and dads part ways. Such statistics um, are rather cold and unfeeling. They're just statistics. They do not reveal the immeasurable heartache, the pain, the fear, the, the deep insecurity that is created, the loneliness, the tears that permeate the lives of, of those families, those homes. Men, brothers in Christ, husbands, Will our homes, will our families be added to these statistics, these mountains of hurt? Will our children join the ranks of the 85,500 a month? Will our relationship with the wife of our youth slide into that dark place where not being together is considered the best or maybe the only option? I would say to you, may it never be here. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loves His church. Husbands, love her like Jesus loves. That's what it says, right? That is what it says. And guys, with this single, infinitely high command and the directives that follow, the Holy Spirit faithfully supplies us with what we need to avoid answering yes to any of those questions that I just posed. Our God is saying to us, do this. Love your wife as my son loves the church and if you will do that, perhaps neither you nor your children need be among those sorrowful statistics so common to our time. Now, I say perhaps only because a marriage is two people, not one. And we cannot make another person want what we want. But husbands, if we do our part, as it is laid out here, the odds greatly swing in the positive direction for our marriage for our families, for the future. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We read such words and our first inclination is to say, impossible! I can't do that. How in the world can I possibly do what this asks? For who can love like Jesus loves? And, of course, the answer is no one can love like Jesus loves, right? Nobody can do that. 
But guys, verse 25 is not asking us to love to exactly the same degree or with the same capacity as Jesus would love. For that truly is impossible. And yet we can love and are commanded to love in kind in the ways that Jesus loves. So what does that mean, to love in kind? Well, it means this. While we cannot love to the same degree as Jesus, we can love in the same way that he loves. We can love with the same kind of love that Jesus loved with, a love marked by the same qualities, by the same characteristics. Our love won't be to the same degree. It won't be to the same capacity or be as consistent as Jesus' love is. But it can share in some small measure the qualities that Jesus loves with. And that's what I mean by loving in kind. Uh, let, me, let me say it another way. We can never be the Pacific Ocean. That's never going to happen. We are not going to be the Pacific Ocean. But we can hold a small portion of the Pacific Ocean with all of its qualities in our arms in a bucket, right? We can't be the ocean, but we can hold a portion of it. And that's the Holy Spirit's intent here through Paul's pen. We cannot love like Jesus loves in terms of extent or degree, but we can love our wives in kind with the same kind of qualities of love that Jesus loves his church with. So with that thought in mind, let's take a closer look, guys, at how Jesus loves and make some practical connections for our own marriage relationships. First, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How does Jesus love his church? With a sacrificial love, right? Clearly, with a sacrificial, a self-sacrificing love. He loves his church and love enough to leave the, the glories of heaven, according to Philippians 2. He loves his church enough to put on flesh and come live in our sinful world, according to John chapter 1, verse 14. He loves us enough to live in this sin-filled world, though he is without sin, Hebrews 4:15. He loves us enough to become poor so that we might become spiritually rich, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And though sinless, he is ready to wear the crown of thorns, to, to bear the cat of nine tails upon his back, to be spit upon and beaten and mocked and humiliated. He loves you. He loves me. He loves his church so much that he will carry a cross to a hill called Calvary. He'll be impaled upon that cross. He'll be lifted up for all to see. And there he is abandoned by his heavenly father as he becomes your sin and my sin. Second Corinthians 521. He does it all because he loves us. He loves us enough to die. And we would call that a self-sacrificing love. Can we love to that extent? Can we love to that degree? No, never. But we can love our wives in kind with a self-sacrificing heart like Jesus loves his church with. A kind of love that puts self and, and, and self's promotion and self's advancement and self's interest secondary to those of our wives. We can love like that. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, penned the single greatest written description of true love 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in verse 5 of that chapter, we are told that love is not self-seeking. Real love, God's kind of love, doesn't seek itself. It does not look out for its own cause. Brothers, husbands, as, as long as we make the first priority of our marriage relationship what we can get out of it, we will never begin to approach the heart of these words. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And let me just add this, since it's bound to be a thought that will will cross the minds of some. Sacrificial love, the kind of love that Jesus loves with and that we are to love with in kind here, is not given on the basis of whether it is deserved or not. Is that important that we know that? I'll remind us that when Jesus died for the world, when God loved the world enough, according to John 3.16, to give his only son to die for it, the world did not deserve that kind of love, did it? It did not deserve to be loved like that. The world and all of its inhabitants, and that includes you and me, deserved hell and God's righteous wrath because of the sin and the rebellion that's in our hearts. That's what we deserved. And yet Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ what? Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died. In our sinful fallenness, we are naturally bent to love. Our natural inclination as fallen human beings is to love on the basis of worthiness or attractiveness or merit. We give our attentions, we pour our affections upon that which we, be, we deem worthy of such. But Jesus' love in verse 25 is not like that. It is a love directed at the most unworthy of objects. It's a love directed towards us. Husbands, love your wives in kind. She is a sinner. She is not perfect. She will never do it perfectly all the time. You will love her in spite of her imperfection. Maybe she's not super relational. Maybe she's too verbal. Maybe she's too emotional. Maybe she's not emotional enough. Maybe she's not a great cook. Maybe she doesn't look like she did before kids came along. Maybe she's tired all the time. Maybe those two go together. Kids and being tired all the time. Maybe she stumbles over the finances. Or doesn't meet some other expectation that we have. Our love or the degree or the depth of our love for her must never be based on those kinds of things. It is a self-giving, self-sacrificing love given to a person who has been handmade by God. It is not a love that we give to a list of attributes or abilities or accomplishments. We give this love to a person who is not perfect. Why? Well, we do this because this is how Jesus loves us. And we are to love like he loves. That's Ephesians 5.25. So when was the last time 
guys, that we really sacrificed for our wives? When was the last time that we each had a desire or a want and we sacrificed it for her? When did we last lay aside our dream so that she might realize her dream? When did we meet a need for her that we did not have or even feel like meeting? If we're going to love like Jesus loves his church, we must come to a point or a place where we die, really, to our own wants and wishes. We sacrifice self, the death of ourself, for the sake of her. Sacrificial love. But there's much more to Jesus' love than that. His love isn't just sacrificial. It is also purifying. It is a purifying love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then verse 26 says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. A purifying love. So revealing in these words is this truth. Whatever Jesus loves, he wants to make pure. He wants to purify the object of his love. You cannot miss that in this passage. Whatever Jesus loves, he wants to make pure. He does not know how to love with anything other than an intense desire to see that which he loves be pure. He would never defile in any way what he loves or ask what he loves to in some way defile itself. In verse 26, we're told that Jesus died to, what's the word? Sanctify his church. You know what that word means? That word sanctify, it means to set apart. To set apart as special, as pure, as holy, as clean. In Colossians 2.13, we're told that when Jesus died for his church, he forgave us all of our sins. All sin, past, present, and future. Jesus dealt with all of it at the cross. We were made holy and pure by him when we put our faith in his death and in his resurrection. We were sanctified. We were made clean and pure. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that, 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 that Jesus' own purity, his righteousness was applied to our life. He took away the sin and he replaced the sin in our life, the penalty of our sin, with his own purity, his own righteousness. But even so, as we live as Christians, we still sin, we still rebel, we still disobey, we still exercise our will contrary to the known will of God. And for those moments... 1 John 1.9 is given to us as a gift. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in Jesus, we have a total and complete positional standing of purity with a holy God and a practical daily opportunity for purity through confession of our sin. Why? Because out of his love for us, Jesus is totally committed to our purity. So what about us, husbands? 
in our relationship with our wives? Does our love for our wives possess this desire that she be pure? You see, guys, when you and I married that special lady, we essentially took her out of the greater world at large and we set her apart. We sanctified, in a sense, her as distinct and special and no longer part of the the great human pool. She is now part of our world. She's now part of our life. She is set apart. And we also set ourselves apart unto her alone, just like Jesus does his church. He gives himself to her alone. Our wives were by our love and by our marriage brought into a relationship of distinction and separateness, sanctified, set apart. As such, our desire with Jesus as our example then becomes an all-out commitment on our part to protect her from defilement. And the intent is much broader than just some moral defilement. It includes a desire to help her in whatever way we can to preserve her purity. We will take intense interest in what our mates watch, what they read, what they spend their time on, what relationships they enter into. into, Not for the purpose of controlling or manipulating or judging our mates or forcing them to live in some kind of a legalistic box of our own making, but out of a passion for her purity, we will seek to protect and promote in her all that will make her beautiful in holiness. Is that how you love? Is that how I love Lisa? With a passion for her purity? Peter says to wives in 1 Peter 3, 4, let your beauty, let your beauty be the hidden person of the heart. And in that same passage in verse 2, pure conduct is the beauty. Let that flow out of your life, Peter says to wives. Well, who's responsible for helping to make that purity happen? That's on us, guys. Love her with a purifying love. When our kids do something that we know is not good for them or is dangerous for them or life-threatening for them, we're going to step in. We're going to intervene because we love them. We're going to protect them from danger and harm. Would we not do the same thing for the mother of our children and for the same, from the same motivation? We, we love her. The love that Jesus loves with and the love we're to express in kind always seeks to purify. Always. Anytime we put our wife in a situation or knowingly permit a situation to continue that either promotes sin in her life or would promote a sinful action from her, We failed to love her like Jesus loves, toward purity. And while I'm here on on, on this topic of purity, just a quick note to to the young guys and the young gals in our church who maybe aren't married yet. Gals, if, if, if you're of a dating age and you are really interested in some guy and and he's really interested in you and he tells you that he loves you and that he wants to prove his love for you sexually, you've got to know right now that this guy hasn't got a clue about love, right? He has not got a clue. He is selfish. He is self-seeking because true love 
always seeks purity. Always. Young men, and, and, and maybe not so young men, if a gal is leading you in this direction, or you are leading her in this direction, be honest with yourself and be honest with her. This is not love. This is lust. Agreed? It's lust. Have enough integrity to call it what it is. This is my sin nature selfishly seeking my own satisfaction. This is not love because if it was really love, I would love you unto purity. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored by all in the marriage bed kept what? Pure. Pure. Because real love is a purifying love. That's how Jesus loves. And then in verses 28, 29, and 30, a third quality of Jesus-like love for our mates goes like this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. What is the third quality of love that is like Jesus' love? Well, it is a caring, cherishing love. Jesus' love is sacrificial. Jesus' love is purifying. And it is a caring, cherishing love. And this is what comes out here. This is how Jesus loves. Verse 30 says that the church is actually part of Jesus' body. Now, that might sound a bit odd if you're new to the Christian faith. But what we're being told here is that there is a mystical spiritual union that exists between the Son of God and His church. The true church around the world and, and with Idlewild Bible Church here in this moment. The Holy Spirit is giving us a word picture. And it's one that we find often in Scripture with the church representing Jesus' body and Him being the head that controls and governs the body. It's a picture. And because the church is His body in this spiritual way, verse 29 says that Jesus nourishes and He cares for the church. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, this word nourish in verse 29, it's a Greek word that means to feed. Your translation may even render the word exactly that way, feed. It's a word that was primarily used in reference to bringing up children. Parents nourished or fed their children, maturing them, growing them up making sure they're healthy. Jesus does that with his church because he loves her. He nourishes her. He feeds her and matures her and gives her exactly what she needs to be able to grow. He provides the Holy Spirit. He gives the Word of God. He gives leaders to his church to equip her and to help her. And he supplies every Christian with a special gift or enablement so that they can feed and grow the church as they serve and use those gifts that they've been given. Jesus nourishes. He feeds his bride, the church. And we are to do the same with our mates. And that word cherish in verse 29, nourishes and cherishes, that's a word that originally meant to soften or to warm with body heat. It's the exact same word used in Scripture to describe a mother bird 
as she sits on her nest and, and her body provides protection and warmth for her, her babies. We're being told that Jesus loves the church like this, with this, this cherishing kind of a love. In fact, do you remember uh, shortly, it was in the, the, the week before Jesus went to the cross for us, uh, he's standing on the Mount of Olives and he looks out over the, the city of Jerusalem and he cries. And he says in Matthew 23:37, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wing. Do you remember that? This is, this is how he right now relates to the church. Cherishing her, gathering her under his wing, providing protection and warmth and security for her. That's how Jesus loves his church. Husbands, we are to love in kind as Jesus loves. We are to nurture our wives and to cherish them in this way. Provide for them, care for them, grow them up and help them to mature. Care for them like like we would take care of ourselves, the Holy Spirit says here. I could care for our own bodies, for our own emotions, for our own spiritual well-being. Take care of her like we would take care of ourselves. And here's why. Because just as the Lord Jesus and his church are bound together in a mystical union so that the two are one, the church and, and is Jesus' body and Jesus' life and head is himself so too in marriage we have been joined in a mystical, spiritual union of oneness with our wives. And when we take care of her, we're taking care of ourselves. We would never seek to purposely damage our own physical bodies. We're to seek and to take care of our marriage body with that same kind of attentiveness. Take care of your marriage like you take care of yourself. Because when you do, you... Come out ahead. You prosper. It's in our best interest to really care well for our mates because we're one. That's what this passage says. And so what does that mean? Nurturing, cherishing. Well, that would mean small things that you do regularly and consistently. Unexpected gifts, notes, date nights, verbal affirmations, non-sexual touches. A thousand and one small things that say, honey, I cherish you. I cherish this life, this relationship that, that we share together. I don't take it for granted. I am deliberately and thoughtfully building into it because when I cherish you, I am really cherishing us. That mystical oneness that we have had since the day we said, I do. That's how Jesus loves. It's how we're to love her, guys, with a caring, cherishing love. If you flip that little note page over, I have taken the liberty of offering up, oh, 20 or so practical suggestions for how you might express your cherishing, nurturing care of your mate. I'm going to rely on you to build off of that list, but it'll be there. But don't look at it right now, okay? Okay, that's... You can come back to that. Because there on your note page, Paul wraps all of this up with these words that hint at a fourth quality of Jesus-like love. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. So a fourth quality of Jesus' love is this. It is an enduring, unbreakable, permanent love. And that really comes out in verse 31, which is nothing more than a quote of Genesis 2.24 and God's words to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God said to the first man and first woman, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, hold fast, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For this reason. For what reason? Because of the profound mystical union that occurs between a husband and a wife in marriage. For that reason, God says, in a marriage we become one person. Two lives commingled into one new entity. For this reason, God says, you break ties with your families, husband and wife, and you enter into this one new distinct identity. The man leaves his parents, the woman leaves her parents, they leave their homes, and they become one new thing. In marriage. And the words hold fast here in verse 31, they mean to connect up. They mean to to glue together. That's what the word means, the Hebrew word. Two people leave one thing and they are glued together into something that is brand new, that's never existed before. A new relationship of husband and wife, permanent and unbreakable. This says the Holy Spirit is how Jesus is united to his church. An unbreakable union that will last forever. And if there is one truth that Scripture declares, it is that the church and Jesus are permanently united. And are you not glad that that is true today? In 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul speaks of the return of Jesus for his church, a time that we call the rapture, of the church in first Thessalonians four seventeen it says we meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever don't you love that last word forever on the eve of the cross Jesus says in John 14 verse 3 I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to be with me for how long forever Heaven with Jesus forever. It's a permanent, enduring, unbreakable love relationship. That is Jesus, sold out completely and forever to us. And that creates such a security for you and me today. Such a settledness of soul. Our love for Jesus and and for the Father flourishes in this rich atmosphere of safety and commitment. We never, ever have to wonder if Jesus is going to bail on us. He can't. And he won't because he loves us too much. Is this our perspective, guys? Is this our heart? Is this our attitude? The conviction in our marriage that it is an enduring, unbreakable union. That's what it needs to be. And it is in that union and in that kind of an atmosphere that security and Safety and love flourish. They grow in this place.
of permanence and unbreakable commitment. Hopefully, fellow husbands, my brothers on this journey with me, hopefully others are going to look at our marriages and they're going to see in it the love of Jesus for his church. That's the, that's the desire. That's the hope. Because that's the Holy Spirit's point here. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When our marriages reflect sacrifice and purity and care and, and cherishing and enduring unbreakable commitment, no matter what, we, through this mystical union of two people coming together and becoming one in this, this atmosphere of true love, we display for all to see the incredible love that Jesus has for us. And those who don't know Jesus yet get to see what a marriage centered on him looks like. And our culture desperately needs to see that. So may it be so for your marriage and mine. Brothers, may we love her like Jesus loves. Let's pray together. Well, it's a great, tall, big request that we make of you this morning, Father. We just ask you to take these words and not allow them to just fall upon our ears, but let them penetrate our hearts. Help us as husbands and husbands-to-be to love like this, to love sacrificially, to love with this kind of purity, this cherishing, this, this enduring permanence. We can never do it in our own strength. So, Holy Spirit, we look to you to supply what we need, to love our mates the way that we, we need to love them. We thank you for the time that they've had a way to be refreshed and nurtured and encouraged in their faith. May they come back and, and find a great environment in which to flourish here at home. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Bring glory to yourself as we try to apply it. In Jesus' great name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And amen.